Hello, I'm Juliette Littman. And I am Joe House. Welcome to Ringer Food, the Ringer's new hub for all your food-related content. You may have known this feed as House of Carbs, and don't worry, that's not totally going away. We will be launching two new shows on the feed, and the first is Food News with me and David Jacoby. You may remember us from our days at Grantland. Well, Jacoby and I are back to go over the news, sample snacks, share some personal tales of food news, some global tales of food news, who knows what else is to come? And House, what are you going to be doing? Oh, my taste buds, my hungry homies, my culinary comrades, we are back. We've done it. Here to tell you that we are reigniting House of Carbs with a whole new slate of tasty episodes throughout the year. We are starting with a football fracas, a gridiron gobble fest. We're doing NFL playoff potluck featuring taste tests of the iconic food item or items of every playoff city to determine which city reigns supreme. Ringer Food is starting up this Wednesday, January 12th. That's so soon. So be sure to subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome back into the Prestige TV podcast feed. I'm Joanna Robinson. With me again, Van Lathan. Hi, Van. How are you? Hello, Joe. How are you? <laughs> Great. This is the second in our three Ozark podcasts that we're doing. If you haven't watched a single episode of season four yet, you're gonna go. You're in the wrong podcast. You want to listen to the preview podcast? We already did that one. This is. I'm midway through. I'm four episodes in. I want to take a break, listen to Joan Van talk about it, and then go back in for the finale. So we will be back on mm, Tuesday, I think, with our like final wrap-up of the season covering the last three episodes. But right now, Van and I are going to talk about episodes one through four, which is the beginning of the end, Let the Great World Spin, City on the Make, and Ace Deuce, those four episodes. And nothing about the final three. We're not spoiling. We're going to do our best to not spoil anything that happens at the end of the season. Can't do it. We'll we do love it. you too much. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah. So that's 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 the lay of the land here. Um, I just want to note fun fun fact about the final two episodes of the season, directed by uh, Robin Wright. I saw that. We were like when when it came out, it said directed by Robin Wright, and it, and both me and Kalik at the same time went. Oh. Yeah, same. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, oh. And Robin Wright, who's had one of the most successful careers you can have, we're like, good for you. Yeah, exactly. Where'd go, Robin? Did you have to train yourself out of calling her Robin Wright Penn, which we did for like a really long time? Yeah, because like it, 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 it's hard. What I've discovered is the only thing that's harder than going to the extra name is coming back from the extra name, you know? Courtney Cox Arquette. But see, I never bought it. <laughs> okay. Never bought it. See, I, I rejected Courtney Cox Arquette and I rejected Kim Kardashian West. 
You're Courtney Cox from Friends. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. I know you met him on screen. You guys hit it off, but I don't care. You're Courtney Cox from Friends. That's who you are. But Robin Wright pinned for some reason. The right pin stuck. It did. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. Uh, so before we get into what happened here in these first four episodes, uh, just like a, a little bit more information that I got about season, the the back half of the season, the next seven episodes. Sure. Uh, Jason Bateman was on Jimmy Kimmel last night and he was like, we split the season. He said the reason they split the season is that Netflix didn't want to pay them season five rates. So they basically gave them a long season four and split it, but didn't have to pay them in their contract for whatever jump they would do to season five rates. Um, that's either true or he was joking, but I think it's probably true. And then that's, I think that's kind of what they did with Thrones too. And then he said, it would be coming out, and he said sort of like a kind of soon is what he said, which makes me think really soon. We'll get the the conclusion of this season of Ozark. So uh, not long to wait. We'll get into why we are anxious to see those seven episodes and what happens next when we cover the back of the episode of the season. So, but let's talk I about I can't the, fucking wait. I know. <laughs> like, it's a lot. I, I can't <laughs> wait, man. Like, I can't wait. It's a lot. Yeah. You'll be, you'll be with us when you finish the season two. Right. But let's, let's start about the first four. And it starts with its own like cliffhanger thing that's hanging over this final season, which is we start with a flash forward. This is something that Breaking Bad used to do and Lost did and stuff like that, where we see the whole fam they're together. Are they all happy? Unclear. But Jonah's in the van and they're all going somewhere. Sam Cook on the radio. The FBI, they seem on good terms. The movers are coming. Maybe they're moving back to Chicago. We don't know. There's some event at the casino. Seems like it's going well. And then, bam, there's a car crash that seems unrelated. It's like a, you know, a truck swerves and they swerve. It doesn't seem to be like a hit or anything like that. Unrelated van flips. We don't know if everyone's alive or dead. Van, what do you think about that as a a starter to a final season of television? I think that I forgot that it happened till you just mentioned it. <laughs> okay. I'm wasn't being for hang- real. Yeah, it wasn't hanging over your head this season? The, no, the because okay. it, it uh, so much happens in such a short amount of time. Literally, I'm thinking to myself, the question that I'm asking during that scene is, uh, okay, what happened with Helen and Omar and everything that was going on in Mexico? Like, what's going on? And then they get right back to that. So... Literally, until you just mentioned that, I forgot that that scene existed. So, I I mean, obviously, having seen the entire first seven episodes, like, I am now wondering how that plays in part with the narrative that's going to be, that's going to come out. And we're not going to do anything to spoil that for everybody. But, but no, I actually had totally forgot it. It was a thrilling way to start the season, for sure. And it was an unexpected way to start the season. And just always, I remember, ever since singles, <laughs> do you remember that uh-huh. we're in, in singles where he's looking at the light he goes That's, that light's been green for a long time and then they get hit and she loses the baby ever since singles I've always been obsessed with a good car crash scene it's like so horrific and scary to me it's out of nowhere but yeah I at this point it's just something that happened and obviously a thread that they'll that they'll kind of clean up um, once they round out the season you could have paid me so much money to try to guess what you would reference in talking about the season of Ozark and Cameron Crowe's singles would have never come up Great for movie. me. Great, Great movie. movie. Great movie. Great movie. Uh, all right. So let's talk about this in these first four episodes. I mean, I think the big thing as we come out of these four episodes, at least the big 
question is like, Jonah's in the car. So like, there's a big split in the family this season. Jonah goes off to work for Ruth. Something that becomes really clear because of that split is the way that Ozark has always wrapped up this idea of bossing a crime family and running your regular family. You know, because like Charlotte and Jonah have been in the mix of the crime since pretty early on. And so I think the way in which Marty and Wendy are split into this like good cop, bad cop almost dynamic where Marty, Marty is like classic dad, good cop where he's like, Nice to Jonah, nice to Ruth. Like, he's just sort of out there glad. Jason Batemaning all over everyone. And Wendy is hard bad cop in all of this, taking this really hard with Jonah. Um, kind of a classic parenting breakdown dynamic, but it has to do with running a crime family. Um, obviously, this stuff goes all the way back to The Godfather and, and beyond and stuff in terms of putting family dynamics into crime family dynamics. But what do you think of, like, the nuclear family being a part of, of this show and that dynamic? First of all, I think that's realistic. I remember that happened <laughs> in my actual family. You know? Did it? I remember. Yeah. One time, I, uh, I brought the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Oh, my God. Tawdry. Oh, boy. Tawdry stuff. Who was on the, who was I on the cover? To, I brought that to, uh, to school. Oh, I can't remember. Like she, but she had a silver bikini. It was back when America was a real country, you know. <laughs> she had a she had a silver she had a she had a, a silver bathing suit on. And really, I'm gonna be honest with you, it was a swimsuit issue. It wasn't like a nudie mag. I didn't think that there was anything wrong with that, right? Sure. I really didn't. Let's just say it was Kathy Ireland. Let's just go ahead. And it, say was it was the Kathy Ireland era. <laughs> it was definitely. So I bring it to school, and mm-hmm. um, a teacher takes it. And I'm like, give me my magazine back. And he was like, uh, Van, you can't have that at school. Look at that one girl. Like, you can see her whole... I'm like, uh, give me my magazine back. And I took it off the... Because there was no nudity in it. And I took it off of the thing. And then <gasps> Van took something off the teacher's desk. So they called my dad. They called my dad. My mother was furious. Yeah. yeah but my yeah. father was like, huh, it's my boy. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. <laughs> And I think that's a, I think, and you know, that's a long-winded yeah. way of me saying that there gets to be a point of raising the son sometimes when the mom and the dad are both pre- present, that the dad encourages a little rebellion because there's this cliche that rebellion somehow, somehow signals leadership, right? Captain America's rebellious. Can't tell him what to do. He knows what to do. Iron Man is rebellious. All, a great leader that strikes out on his own. Right. When moms, sometimes, and my mom did, Take it as a rebellion against their love. They're telling you this because they love you. Yeah. It's a, it, it, so so my, my mom, she would be like, she would ask me to do something and I wouldn't do it. And emotionally, it would be like, I'm losing my son. My dad would be like, hey, just let him go. I'm telling you, it'll yeah. be fine. Uh, and so I see that coming out. And that's, that's not to say that Jonah is not getting on my fucking nerves. But at the same time, that dynamic, even although cliche and done before, to me, is a realistic one. Well, and I just don't think it's quite been done in this dynamic, the way that, like, Wendy is acting out that, exactly what you're talking about, that I think that moms, I mean, all of this stuff is gender-normed, and you can ignore it if you want to, but, sure, like, of course, yeah. that, that moms do tend to take rebellion as, like, a personal separation from you. And there tends to be like anger and frustration that comes with that, at least in my family dynamic as well, my experience. They explored this in the Sopranos as well. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. And so yeah. I think I think this idea of Jonah 
quote unquote, betraying the family, the crime family, and Wendy taking that the way that she does, and Marty taking the approach of like, if you hold something, if you let something go, it'll come back to you. If you hold it loosely, it'll come back to you. So he's like telling Ruth, I would have helped you with the software if you'd asked me. And I actually believe him. Yeah. Or he's like proud of Jonah for his money laundering. Or he's he's good cop with Maya as well. And if you need to bring in the closer, the enforcer, you call Wendy. Like, these are the dynamics. It's a dynamic that I think a lot of women resent because I think they feel like the guy, the you know, the male parent gets to get away with being the nice guy and the woman is like asked to be the enforcer. But personality-wise, it aligns perfectly with who Wendy and Marty are in general uh, in all of this. I think it's really interesting. But the way in which Ozark has family stuff everywhere, everywhere you look. Casey Mafia, that's like a father-son dynamic. Even with the Navarro crime family, you've got Javi the nephew comes in this season. It's Javi and Omar. You've got uh, Darlene and Wyatt and Ruth. Like Darlene and Wyatt are sort of their own little family nucleus, but then you've got Wyatt and Ruth as like cousins connected and the push and pull of him in the middle between those two women. Like the way in which they brought all this family stuff in, even the Shaw family, the pharmaceutical company that comes in this season, mm-hmm. they brought all this family shit into the mix. Um, and that's what the show has always been, but it's just times 10 in these final episodes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's and whenever you have family stuff that's in the mix like that, it it makes for better drama because then it fucks up the business, right? Family stuff fucks up the business. Like it's obvious that Ben had to go, but what if he's your brother? Yeah. You know, it's it's one thing if uh, if Omar Navarro is challenged, but it's a little bit more dangerous and evil when it's coming from his nephew, because you start to think Javi, who is one of the most sinister and well written and acted new characters in a show I can remember in recent times, you think that's his nephew that's coming at him like that. That's how serious it is in that situation. So the family dynamic. It it makes everything, it ratchets it up to 10. And it makes the emotions a lot more sort of visceral in, in a show like this. So let's talk about Javi. Javi's played by Alfonso Herrera this season, joining the cast right Alfonso. from the right from the jump. Right from the jump. Scary. Yeah, asshole. I hate him. Scary. Uh a foodie. The cosmopolitan member of the, you know, he went to college in Chicago. That guy's always dangerous. Yeah. Uh, that, tell tell guy, me about that. That so, the, so think about that. That guy who is from there, because I always think of this guy real quick, Joe. I think of that guy like Javi, right? Javi went to school in Chicago and was just one of the guys. He was hanging out. They were going to bars. You know what I mean? He was doing this thing. He might have caught a Cubs game. He was going to the whole... He was just one of the dudes. Little do they know that this motherfucker is being groomed to be the head of a Mexican drug cartel. So the whole time he's hanging out with you, there's this huge, huge dangerous past. Anytime you have a guy like that, they always use that as a a feather in a hat to make you understand just how dangerous he is because he knows your ways. Like, he right. knows your ways, right. and that's why they send him up there. So the yeah. minute I saw that, I was like, uh-oh, he's trouble. He's not someone like Omar who is, like, so – Omar is so foreign in a way that he seems like this entity that's, like, very far away, where yeah. Javi seems very intimate. 
He's in America all the time. He understands it there. He gets it there. And it seems like he's right around the corner. And that's what makes him super scary in the show. Right. And he pops up in your casino and he, yep. he's just sitting on your boat waiting for you. And he's like, let's go get pastries. And it's just, uh, it's terrifying. <laughs> um, <laughs> his friendly charm. I mean, I think he's, um, he's, he's fantastic on the show. Um, but he, he does remind me a little bit of Tony Dalton's character Lalo on Better Call Saul. Like a little bit of oh, that. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he comes in super charming and smiling, but terrifying um and he establishes the danger right away right by by killing the sheriff that we've seen for several seasons the sheriff was never a major player but he was you know it's law and order it's like this is this is someone that we've been negotiating with all season and then he's just bam gone without a second thought i have a really really important question for you van i'm ready we know that the birds have a crematorium that is very useful to them. They are forever incinerating bodies. Here's my big question. What do they do with the goddamn cars? Like, what did they do with that cop car? Did Javi just drive it out of town? Like, what do we... They are constantly burning bodies and no one ever bothers to, like, dispatch the car. So this so, is what I was thinking. Because, like, yeah. I thought about this when Javi was driving around in the cop car. It's a, it's a small town, right? Ridiculous. Nobody passed by, <laughs> nobody passed by him and was like, huh. Yeah. Hmm. He said, I don't know. We have anybody that good looking on the force. You know, what I mean? <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, nobody said that. But I did think about something about this because this is actually brought up in the living room. It's like, what are they going to do with the car? I think about the end of Pulp Fiction. Remember in Pulp Fiction where uh, after Jules and Vincent um, <laughs> went through this whole thing with Winston and then the lady from Saturday Night Live randomly pops up. Remember that? Yep, I do. Uh, um, and what was her name again? Sweeney? Julia Sweeney, yeah. Jul- Julia Sweeney. They pop up at the end. And they have this like one place that they go to crush up all the cars, the, the cars that they need to get rid of. I'm wondering, and we haven't met this character, but if there's like a car crusher person somewhere that the birds work with, are they sinking cars into... The water, the body of water there. What is that? The Mississippi River. What, you drain. I don't. I don't know. You drain that water, and it's just cars. Cars under <laughs> the there. Cars, yes, on see. the lake. Just all of these cars, <laughs> like all of these cars that they have because of the people that are getting killed on the Ozark. So I have no clue. But I thought about that whole thing. I'm like, yo, man, he drove the sheriff's car over there, and he just does. He doesn't give a fuck. And they don't talk about, I mean, like, there's whole plots of movies, I swear, or TV shows where they're trying to figure out how to get rid of the car. And this one, they're just like, yeah, it's a, and it's a cop car. Right. Um, and the same, same for, uh, you know, Darlene just kills that driver. And, you know, poor Ruth and Wyatt have to bury the body. And I'm like, and did you bury the car too? What happened like, to the limo that he was driving yeah. the guy around in? Yeah. What happened to the limo? So this is my Jesus car question Christ for Ozark. It's terrifying. <laughs> All right, let us talk about the Shaw family. So we get, um, this is a great new element. So it was part of Wendy's uh, bid to become a political mover and shaker in the Midwest, right? She's creating the, the Bird Foundation, the board, and she needs an influx of cash, and she needs influential, influential people. So she's going to Shaw Pharmaceutical. We get the introduction of Claire Shaw, played by Katrina Lank, who is this, you know, daughter of a of a disgraced, pharmaceutical family who's taken over the business trying to make it clean. Um, this is the introduction of like the the pharmaceutical opioid crisis into 
our drug dealing show. And I think it's really interesting to like draw that line so clearly between pharmaceuticals and like a Mexican drug cartel to the point where we have a drug cartel furnishing the drugs for this pharmaceutical company. What do you think of, of Shaw Pharmaceutical? At first I was annoyed. Yeah. Tell me. Well, because, you know, I, I'm I'm in the show and I'm 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 doing the whole thing. And what I really want is answers to the things that are happening that are right in front of me and that are on my plate, right? This is, this is how I do TV sometimes, show. Sometimes I see the stuff and it's on my plate. And sometimes television shows seem like half-eaten meals. Like, imagine you go to your favorite restaurant, right? Uh-huh. And there's a big dinner there. Uh, a lot of people say I'm basic because I like a steak at Ruth's Chris. And I don't care what you guys say. The steak tastes good there. So, like, you can go wherever you want, but I like it there. And imagine you've eaten half the steak and then somebody brings you something else. Sometimes you want to finish the steak before yeah. you get to that. So there are a lot of questions that I needed to be at, answered. You're like, get this cream spinach out of here. Get the cream spinach out of here. Get your baked potato fucking out of here. I don't want it. Peace out. Filet only. Right. I, before we jump into the opioid crisis, the Shaw Pharmaceuticals and all of that stuff, then very quickly, it was made into one of the more important uh, plot points in the entire show because it tied into how Wendy and also it became an it became an um Wendy gets very specifically dirty in this. One thing that has to happen when you're watching a show about people who are doing criminal stuff is you have to be able to there's a su- suspension of disbelief that these people are still good people. Right? Mm. So they're still they're just in situations where they have to make like um decisions that you don't have to make. Okay. Right. So right. Wendy Bird and, and Marty Bird, they're not bad people. They're just in a bad situation. They're trying to make the best of it. Then something else starts to happen and shows where people start to make decisions that affect people way down the line from them. I think that's very interesting what they're doing with Wendy Bird. And I think it's interesting in bringing the Shaw Corporation in there because they represent someone who's trying to actually do the opposite, who's trying to undo a lot of harm that her family has caused while meeting her with someone who is now about to cause a lot of harm outside of her world for really the very first time. And it's almost meeting those characters like on the way up and on the way down. Because when we start talking about some of the stuff that Wendy is, you know, thinking about doing later on and some of the stuff that she's getting into by sort of giving the Shaw Corporation a nice, fancy new name when, of new face when they're part of the opioid crisis. Now the ball is rolling in two different ways and who's going to win that little battle. So I thought bringing someone who wanted retribution into the show mm-hmm. was very interesting and something I didn't think that I needed, but I did. I think the really key um, part of that is this speech that Wendy gives to Claire when Claire is stressed out about the drug deal and she's stressed out because Javi comes in and he crashes the handing off of the drugs at one point and Javi is just like Javi's all over the thing and spooks Claire because she was used to dealing with the birds who knew how to put a nice face on it and then Javi comes in and she's like, what, oh, what am I actually, oh, I'm actually doing a drug deal. What the fuck? 
And Wendy says this thing to her about keeping enough good on top of the bad. Bury the bad with all the good. Like, think about all the heroin you're, keep, you're keeping off the streets by taking the heroin from a drug cartel and making it into opiates. Um, or, uh, you know, this is what Wendy is pretending that she's doing. Again, I think it's very self-delusional the way that Walter White was self-delusional. But she's pretending to herself that this big political machine that she wants to build for herself where she will institute liberal progressive policies and do good <laughs> in the country. Fucking... That is the story that she's telling herself uh, I, 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 to justify. Story, they all tell themselves that story. Yeah. Let, let me, let me litter my, my political campaign with like dead people, backhanded courtroom deals. Let me cover up DUIs and all of that stuff because I'm going to be I'm gonna be different when I get all the power in the world. <laughs> They've been telling themselves that same lie since 100%. back in the fucking day. Stupid. I hate it. And mixed into all of that is Wendy having to justify the choice she made at the end of season three to sacrifice her brother. And she's like, it has to be worth something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like this, I have forever tainted my soul by doing this. Killed your own brother. It has to be worth something. But what's also telling is at one point, Wendy says to Marty, I'm not fucking losing. And I think that's the real, the real core of Wendy well, right there, right? Is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. She's like, it, it, she's so in now that it's not about that stuff anymore. That's like when we talk about all of these people, like, you know, I remember back when they were breaking up Microsoft and people didn't understand, like, why was Bill Gates going so hard? He already has all of these billions, billions of dollars. He don't want to lose. At the end of the day, you win so much and you figure out enough problems, you don't think that there's a problem too big for you. And Wendy definitely doesn't think that. Wendy, Wendy doesn't care. There's zero. The altruism is gone. It's all gone. It's all gone. What she's doing now, she is a reactionary competitor. She's just reacting to shit and beating it back. And she's not going to face something that she can't beat at this point. I love that line, by the way. She delivered that line. She's killing it. Oh, Laura Lenny, so good. One thing, one small thing I want to put in here with the introduction of like Shaw Pharmaceutical and some of the other things that they're doing here. I don't know how you feel about distances on shows, but I definitely put into my map app <laughs> Ozark, Missouri to Chicago. How long uh-huh. do you think it takes to drive from the Ozarks to Chicago? Based on the show? Yeah. So we're going to Missouri, Chicago. So Chicago is in Illinois. Missouri is in Missouri. Uh, <laughs> it's two hours? Two, three hours? Three hours? Three hours. You, you say three hours. Our producer, Sasha, just chimed in with six hours. Uh-huh. It is eight hours. Oh, fuck And that. they are <laughs> constantly zipping back and forth to Chicago. <laughs> Let's say something. So I, I I grew up I grew up in Baton Rouge. Houston is four hours away, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, New Orleans is less than an hour away. It's like forty five minutes, right? So whenever we're going to have a good time, we go to Houston. One day we decided we we're going to drive to Memphis, right? Uh-huh. And we thought in Memphis, you know, you just drive through Mississippi and Tennessee to there. Memphis was about seven hours away. And by the end, we fucking hated each other. Of course. I'm like, I'm like, yo, what the hell, bro? All of y'all, get away from me, bro. Like, we seven hours was so much longer of a haul than we thought there was. Definitely not going up to for no business meetings. That's a flight. No. That's oh, exactly. I mean, that's it's longer than it takes to get from 
the barrier where I am to LA where you are, right? That takes less than eight hours. And I would make that a flight anyway. Like right. I drive it plenty, but I would make it a flight if I had a lot of business in LA. So um, so there you go. Um, okay, so let's talk about, to go back to Wendy and and her lust for power. Something that I don't think we talked enough about out of season three and into season four is the relationship between Omar and Wendy. Oh, where yeah. like Omar has this communication with Marty, but but then he starts talking to Wendy and it becomes this really, into, it's not like, it's not a love affair, but it's this like dark connection between the two of them that I think is really interesting. What do you think about that? Shadow meets shadow. He sees the shadow inside. Yeah. Marty's a numbers guy, a fucking geek. You know, <laughs> the Marty birds come and go, but Wendy, she's fierce. She's independent. She seems, uh, it, for all of the reasons that, like, you know, if we're if we're dealing in stereotypes and a guy like Omar Navarro wants to be who he is, he'd see himself more in Wendy than he does uh, in, in Marty. Marty is, and Jason Bateman plays Marty, I think this is his best acting season, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. There, there are a couple of scenes in this season to where I'm just like, Jesus Christ, this guy is so great. Anything in these first four episodes specifically? Nah, we'll talk about okay, it. Okay, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, okay. we'll talk about Oh, actually, no, there is. There is something in his first four episodes. The scene where, <laughs> where and this is Jason Bateman is managing to be funny. And I and I and I love that. The scene where Marty and Wendy are talking to Darlene and Ruth mm-hmm. and Wyatt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Wyatt says, uh, you know, all of this was happening before you got there. And Marty goes, before you came down there, Marty goes, okay, but we did come. And we're he gives, and look, we're, look, we're here now. And he gives him a wink. Like, <laughs> uh, like he gives him a wink. Like, okay, we did come, champ. And that's what we're talking about. And the wink is so condescending. Like, it's so condescending. Like, yo, I think you know, and I know, that I'm not <laughs> talking to you. But he didn't have to get stern in any way. He was completely, like, he completely kicked him out of the scene by yeah. one little head gesture. I'm like, so funny to me. For me, it was, yeah, when Javi takes Marty to go clean up the crime scene at mm. Helen's house. And then the new sheriff shows up. Uh-huh. And so Marty is trying to get the new sheriff through the house and not have Javi kill her. And, like, the stakes are are huge. Like, yeah, Javi, Javi would definitely do that. Right. And But but Bayman's playing it just like slapstick comedy. Right. You know what I mean? Of, like, just <laughs> doors and sardines. It's really funny. Anyway. Right. Um, but yeah, so uh, I forgot the original question now. What was oh, it? uh, Marty birds come and go. Wendy birds are for life, or Wendy birds oh, yeah, are yeah. rare, and Omar and Wendy's connection. That is that is the thing to me. So I think that he didn't see as much rarity in Marty, but in in, in Wendy, he mm. saw something. He sees something in her that like gives him life, like he's inspired. Almost to me. It's not a love affair, but they are playing it a little bit, like, especially in season three when she was taking calls from him without Marty knowing. You know, she's oh, yeah, talking directly sure. to Omar without Marty knowing. And so it's like, it felt very, like, furtive and, like, an affair. Um, but the So the plot for Omar this season is that Omar wants out. He wants to... He wants the FBI to help him. He wants the birds to get the FBI to help him. So we're looping in Argo Maya, FBI agent, new mom, Maya getting her in the mix, putting her in danger, putting her on a plane uh, with him for a meeting. Uh, And then that loops back into the Javi stuff because basically Marty starts to use the Javi intel 
because Maya needs Omar to give her something to get him out. And so they start blowing up some of Javi's deals in order to further Omar's deal with the FBI. It's all complicated and related. Um, But I'm scared for Maya and I don't like her in any of this. How do you feel? I'm scared for her too. But Maya is also very important in this. Something you're going to learn later. Maya represents what kind of danger a true believer can be. There is, my dad used to say, God rest dad. I quote him on every podcast. I'm sure he's Mm. laughing. My dad used to say, there's nothing more dangerous than somebody who believes what they say. Like really believes it. Like super believes it. Maya is out to make a difference. You know, she's gotten into the weeds with Marty a little bit, but she's like Captain America in Civil War. Is really to fuck over everybody because your friend had a bad couple of decades killing people up. Let him go. He deserves it, Cap. No. Caps, I'm with you to the end of the line. All right. So, so the reality of, of somebody like her character is she seems still uncorrupted. She seems like the most level-headed and forward-thinking person, but she really believes. And she's got all of this stuff that's really with her, that that's newly with her, with the baby, with even her mom coming. I, I assume, I'm assuming that's her mother. Yeah, yeah, it's her mom. That's that's with her mother coming to stay with her, and she's trying to build a family in a world where she's seeing all of these families fall apart before her eyes because of decisions that they've made. And the question becomes, after a while, to me, will decisions that she's made then ruin her family? Is she to suffer the same fate as all of these people, but just for different reasons? And I think that's something that's really, really intensely uh, locking me into her character this season like it hasn't been before. I think my favorite scene from this four episodes, these four episodes with her, is not anything with the birds, though there's some really good stuff with her and Wendy. Um, but it's when the when that other agent confronts her sort of in the parking garage. Yeah, when she's walking up, she sees this guy. Yeah, and yeah. he's like, She's like, let me stop you right there. All right. I know that you're about to call me a hypocrite, but here's why your argument's bullshit. Don't like, and she just completely washes him in that scene. And he's like, he kind of has the moral high ground a little bit there, but she's just like, no, absolutely not. You're gonna call me a hypocrite. Don't worry about it. I don't, I don't care. Um, I, I'm and then I know. Gives I'm him doing advice right. at the end of the scene. Yeah. Like, like she, she says, uh, when he's suspended, she's like, like. She's, I think she tells him, like, enjoy your suspension. You should really go lawyer up and think about what you're going to yeah. do. Like, yeah. Like, you're you're suspended. I can't talk. And then, like, but doesn't tell him to go fuck himself. Tells him to go fix himself, which is a whole different type of sentiment. She's like, think about yourself. Yeah. Take care of yourself right now. Right. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about me at all. All right. Let's talk about my girl, Ruth, who's going through it uh, in a big way this season, right? So yeah. she gets her, her big thing that she gets looped into. She joins the Darlene family. She's trying to hold on to her relationship with Wyatt, something she worked really hard to win back in season three. Um, and it's complicated because she does, she has great ideas. Darlene's a freaking wild card. You never know what she's going to do. Um, Darlene is jealous of the connection between uh, Wyatt and Ruth. Um, and Ruth has this idea to, to loop in some high rollers. She, she, uh, you know, takes the quick eight hour drive up to Chicago to loop in this celebrity chef, Go Carrie. Get Bobby Flay. <laughs> Go get Bobby Flay and his, uh, and then she does some heroin with him, which is my least favorite thing that happens in these, uh, seven episodes, honestly. And then 
you know, he ODs and he's like, I'm out. Uh, also, she buys the Lazio, which is where we first met her. So she's kind of like full circling on her own story. But Carrie, Bobby Flay on his way out of town is like, listen, I came from here. I worked so hard to get out of here. Why would I end up ODing in the place where I worked so hard to get out of? And he serves as a cautionary tale for her of kinds to be like, you're smart. Work your way out of here. Don't wind up here. Don't wind up dying here when you're smart enough to get yourself out of here. Um, let me tell you why Ruth trying heroin, something that she says she doesn't do, but she does with him to uh, to make the sale. Why that upset me so much is, you know, Ruth's going through it. We get long protracted scenes of her staring at the, the goat urn uh, that has Ben's ashes in it. She is crying. She is extremely vulnerable. This is not the time I need drugs anywhere near her. Um, how do you feel about it? Uh, I didn't. I think the whole Carrie thing was stupid. Okay. Like, I really do. <laughs> Someone like, tell me I, why. I'll be honest with you. I think that whole thing was stupid. All right. So look, he, this guy is famous enough to where he walks around and people know him by face. So let's think of the celebrity chefs that have that type of fame with Guy Fieri. Uh, going, what is it called? Food Town? What is he? What is he have? Flavor Town. Flavor Town. Flavor Town. Flavor Town. Yeah. So you got Guy Fieri. Yeah, you yeah. Had Bobby Flay. I think Bobby Flay got canceled. I'm not sure he, if he did or if he did. Gordon Ramsay. All Good right. Call. Gordon Ramsay. Well, think about all of these guys. From my neck of the woods, Emeril Lagasse for a while was America's chef. All of these guys. Now, which one of these motherfuckers are you going to convince to start dealing dope with you? Like, which one of these guys are you going to convince that are that are doing food? which they love to do, which one of these guys are you going to come to them with a drug dealing scheme and they're going to be like, okay, cool, I have all of this stuff, but let me start dealing some dope. Well, he's a, he's, he's a user anyway. And like d- drug culture in the kitchens is, is a thing. Yeah, um, true. And uh, uh, he's not, I mean, he's, I, I like how she sold him on to being an influencer, not a dealer, but an influencer. And she doesn't need him to like deal to her friend, his friends. She needs him to just like bring his friends and she'll sell to his friends. Sort it's of still thing. too wrapped up in it to me. Okay. And to me, it's, it, it didn't make sense that, hey, how about this, man? I just like to get high. Just give me the drugs, man. Give me the drugs so I can think about all kinds of crazy new things in here to cook, cooking all kinds of crazy shit when I'm high. You know, I just didn't like the fact that he, and then the explanation that he used when he talked to her about the fact that he was getting out was exactly what was going through my mind when he got in. I was like, so you mean to tell me you're going to leave Chicago and you're going to go back to Missouri? And remember, he'd already put himself in some dangerous situations. He's fucking around with Darlene. He remember he was annoying. He was at, annoying Darlene when they were at the farm. So he's already putting himself for no reason. And I I hate characters like that. When you see people that look like they're taking chances that don't make any fucking sense to me at all. And when he got out of the thing, he he basically said everything that I was thinking in my mind. Yeah, I was like, I started clapping. I wish Kalika was here. She would tell you. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Go back to your restaurant. And, and make ratatouille or whatever so that we can enjoy it when we're in town. Don't get caught up in the dope game, Carrie. I don't give a shit about Carrie. <laughs> I give a shit about Ruth. Right. And like a person who's in an extreme amount of pain 
who has been so responsible, who's like, I don't do that shit. I don't do drugs. She also turns down alcohol. She's seen the ravages, like the effects that it's had on her, her like community. Family, yeah. yeah, and her family. Uh, and she's like, no, but I'm like, if if there's a time for this to go badly for Ruth, it's right now when she's really hurting. So that's just this is Even something like her hitting heroin. And by the way, like I saw train spotting at a young age and I knew I was out of that game. Yeah, me too. Jesus fucking Christ. Rip rest in peace to the baby. <laughs> what about the uh the toilet that he crawls out of? Oh my uh, god. Yeah. Scare, scare, scare straight train spotting. Show your kids train spotting is our point. Uh that's good parenting. All right. So let's talk about this last thing that I want to talk about, which is I'm calling ghosts from the past. Um, it's like a bunch of stuff that's sort of haunting around this season. The the repercussions of what happened in season three. Represented probably most overtly by this new character, Mel, the PI, who's just sniffing around. He's gonna show oh my up. God, my dude. <laughs> my dude, I just need a signature. Right. I, I, I texted me. you. I texted Joe randomly. Yeah. So I just need to, hey, look, I just need a signature. This fucking guy, man. And I hadn't watched the episodes yet. So I'm like, what are we talking about? Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love him. I love that he's just like, he's got that excuse of like, oh, I'm not sure your doorbell's working. So I decided to like snoop around your backyard. Uh, he's just going around. He's leaving people business cards with like, do your fucking job on the back of it. Um, he finds Wendy's dad. Uh, fun fun fact. That felt like a little uh fun bit of casting to me. Richard Thomas, who played uh John Boy on the Waltons, uh, as Wendy's Wait, dad. What? Yeah, John Boy from the Waltons. Good night, John Boy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. The Waltons peak white. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Peak white. Peak like peak like good goody goody family. Peak you know what I mean? White. Because we had yeah. we had the Waltons. We had Little House on the Prairie. You know what I'm saying? Just no motherfucking mention of how we were doing at that time. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the time when things were simpler. Yeah. For you motherfuckers, maybe. (laughs) For us, it was very complicated during that time. Kind of still is. But yeah, I I, I used to love to watch Waltons with my family, man. That's what I'm saying. You take an actor from a show like The Waltons, which is just about like the most saccharine sort of like family. And also like, yeah, like mountain back home family stuff and you make him seemingly a shitty dad because I don't know Ben and Wendy aren't doing that great Wendy uh, rips the phone out of the wall when he calls all he has to do is call her and she rips the phone out of the wall he used so, her, he, used her, he called her by her first and he, he, he hit her with the middle name too yeah 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 Wendy Marie so, so John John Boy's here uh, we'll see we'll see where that you know more more family stuff goes from the past but the, the most chilling, sad, scary stuff is that Wendy is going around and just inventing all these stories about her brother, right? Oh, my brother, he was an addict. If only we had been able to help, we would know where he is now. She's weaving the stories. Marty's like, this is a bad idea. Ruth is like, what the fuck is this that you're going around telling? Um, what do you think about this, like, Wendy Wendy delusion stuff? That we're you ever heard of something called mythomania? Mm, I don't think so. Tell me. So there was this guy back in the day and he had this show. Look, look this story up, guys. He had this show. There was a there was a show on HBO called Rome. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there was this guy who convinced people that he was doing a reality show called The Real Rome. To the point that he that he had convinced him that HBO show had that HBO had given him uh this whole budget to uh produce this show, and he had sucked 
all of these people in and basically started a production of people that wanted to work on this show. But with one day, and, and it was like one day, it was a huge, huge, big deal. Everyone looked this up. You'll be able to find it. It was a big deal. He had told all of these people all of this stuff. And then, obviously, it never happened. A friend of mine named John Vaughn uh, that I met on a movie that I was working on when I was in Baton Rouge, he had actually gone down to work with this guy thinking that it was real. And that got me into learning about mythomania. Mythomania can sometimes be a coping mechanism. I'm not sure if Wendy truly understands the stories that she's saying are lies. I know she knows intellectually that they're lies. Right, 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 right. She knows intellectually that they're lies, but she's, in my opinion, inventing mm-hmm. this sort of backstory about her brother in order to cope with it in order to cope with what she had to do. There is a, there's a version of this story where Wendy actually feels like, hey, my brother was a wayward soul. It wasn't drugs that killed him, but it was something that he couldn't control. It wasn't an, it wasn't an addiction, but it, it was. She thinks that it's his mental illness that got him killed. She doesn't really take full responsibility for having to, to kill him. Every time someone asks her about why he's not around, she goes, he was sick. And she puts the onus back on him. Like, your, your, your uncle was sick. He was sick. He was sick. That still doesn't explain why you had to do it. You're involved in some fucked up shit. And yeah. that's really what got him killed. But her explanation for it is he was sick. So I think the addiction part of it is something that she was using for cope. I, uh, to cope, I bring up that story because that guy was having all kinds of personal problems. And this whole thing, the, this mythomania, this whole thing was something that was keeping him going straight. So she knows that it's a lie. But I bet it feels true to her, is what I'm saying. And it's also a way for her to connect, like, more directly connect what she's doing with these rehab clinics. By the way, Shady, the bird stole Darlene's idea right out from under her, right, to do these yes, rehab no, centers. what we do, baby. <laughs> it's business, babes. Um, but uh, to directly connect these rehab centers she's building to, like, keeping the good on top of the bad, Right. Uh, it's disturbing. I think it's really disturbing. I think Laura Linney, as you mentioned, incredible job yeah. this season. She's always been great. This is just like one step above. Let me let me close out with the last thing. This is why I decided to cut it here at episode four instead of episode three. Because episode four ends on a really exciting note, which is Marty coming to Ruth and being like, hey, I got a drug supply problem. Heard you had some drugs. Because, you know, Javi's holding the drugs back. Uh, you know, because he's playing his own game, right? He's holding the drug back. They need the drugs for the Shaw deal. Omar won't help them. So Marty goes to Ruth. Uh, you know, and the, and, the, and the way in which he has been treating her, doing the good cop, uh, you know, I actually believe Marty cares a lot about Ruth. But the way in which he's been good copping her all season pays off for him here because when he needs drugs, he's going to go to Ruth and Ruth and Marty are back together and back in business. And that's, uh, a place I love to see for them. Um, how do you feel? Loved it. Loved the yeah. fact that they could still be useful to one another. Yeah. Uh, it was some stability at that point that Ruth really needed because um, I think we're watching her fumble around and her fumble around and fuck shit up a little bit. She's learning on the job. Mm-hmm. You know, she got very good at the whole money money laundering part of it. She got very good at that. She got very adept at, at the managerial part of the, her job. But now she's actually jumping into a 
different arena, mm-hmm. you know, and there are a lot of things that have to happen there. There's a lot of connections you have to have, and she's green. So she's not really used to working with personalities like Darlene. She's used to working with personalities like Marty, who are a little bit more reasonable, who are a little stable. bit more by the book, stable. Yeah. Um, so it's like, once again, it was kind of reminiscent of some of the earlier seasons when she needed someone to actually be there for her and show her how things go, Marty was there for her again. And I think that that, to me, you know, he was in a pinch too, but at the same time, he does love her. Yeah. Like, yeah, he definitely loves her. <laughs> Much easier to work with Ruth than, than with Wendy, unfortunately. Um, all right. So that's, that's, I mean, that brings us up to the end of episode four. We're going to talk about the back three. There's more stuff I want to say. I want to say more stuff about Jonah, about Charlotte. Oh, I, about I, wanted, I want, look, this, the, the next one's going to be long. I got yeah. I got a 30 minutes worth of Jonah stuff for you. Okay. Little I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm 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 Team Jonah. We can fight it out next time. So we'll be back. Uh, what? To, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, on that teaser. We'll be back next week with with more stuff with the with the great Jonah debate. Um and and the end of the season. And and you don't want to miss it because Van didn't just text me about the end of the season. He called me in the year of our Lord, 2022. <laughs> Van picked up the phone to call me to talk to me about the end of the season. Didn't right. take his call, but we'll talk about it. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about it next time. <laughs> um, this episode was produced by Sasha Ashall. And uh, thank you all so much for listening. We'll, we'll see you next week. Bye.